how important the gospel is to the church. The gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And I want to invite you to stand with me as we read uh, a few portions of scripture. And then I'll let you be seated and we're going to preach. Uh, you're going to have to, to uh, not, not kind of zone out this morning. Because we're going to hit it hard and we're going to hit it fast. And uh, I, I want you to catch, catch what the word of God is. Is saying. Would you turn in your Bibles to two Psalms? We're going to read them in their entirety. Psalms 8 and Psalms 24. And I want to read those in here and would love for you to be following along in your word. Uh, I'll be reading them for, for this time. I know a lot of times I do the English Standard Version, but today I'm going to read them in the King James. They'll be on the screen behind me as well. But why don't you uh, join with me? Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? Thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visited him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the path of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. David wasn't done. He flipped over his journal and he began to write some more. And he wrote in Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him. That seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. For lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And the question is, who is the King of glory? And the answer, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Again, the question is asked, who is this King of glory? And the answer, the Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Selah. Would you lift your hands and would you thank him for the word of God and the gospel? Lord, we give you praise today. Well, as we look to your word, would you once again let it speak to the hearts and the minds of each that are here? God, we love you. We glorify you. And we're so thankful that we know who this king of glory is. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Again, thank you so much for your worship today. But would you let me talk to you a little bit about the gospel? I think I've, I've said this before in, in the midst of preaching over the last 12 years, but Xerox Corporation had a, has a patent on creating temporary copies. These pages that they created are coded with a special coding and they can be used over and over again, the same piece of paper through the copy machine, almost as much as 50 times. Or the researchers found that, that some 40% of printed pages are, are printed or copied, used, read, 
How many of you do that? Print something out just so you can read it because you don't want to read it on your screen and then you throw it away. I do it all the time. So they, they designed special chemicals and coated a special paper. Once that paper goes through the printer or the copier and is exposed to light, uh, or, or, or rather goes through its printed, and then as that printed page comes to light, something in the light causes the text on the paper to gradually fade, and within 16 to 24 hours, that paper will be completely uh, uh, erased, or you can run it back through the special printer and it can erase it instantly. And though we're not yet using this technology, no matter what you print, this sermon that I have right now, I I, I started keeping every you know sermon uh, paper copy of every sermon. And then I realized I was quickly running out of space, so years ago I stopped keeping a printed copy, and I just have them on my computer. Because in reality, no matter what it's printed on, all printed material is temporary. As a gateway, uh, the old. There in the old school, they had the, the tunnels that went under. Uh, I remember walking through the tunnels, and I came across things that had been forgotten. And uh, I, I have a, a clarinet that was lost in the tunnel that no one claimed it, so I got, got it. Uh, I was able to fix it up. I have that. I found some books. I love books. I love old books. I've got several in my library that go all the way back to 1860. But I found some books that were 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 theology books, but they were from the 1800s, and I got excited, and I began to open them up, and they had sat in that damn musty basement for so long. Pages were stuck together, mold and mildew had taken its toll. He said, couldn't even open the book without it falling apart, because so many things in this life that's printed is just different. It seems no matter how much you take care of, time has its toll. But can I tell you today, Regardless of whether it's printed on rice paper or bound in fine calfskin or just regular old paper bound in bonded leather, can I tell you the word of God is forever settled in heaven. You can throw it away, you can erase it, you can stop reading it, but it doesn't change the word of God. The word of God is sure. Uh, uh, man who has a devotional that every once in a while I read the Turning Point Daily Devotional wrote back in November 26, 2006. He wrote this, he said, that often Christian leaders who appear on secular television talk shows are often asked this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? You've ever watched some of them go on different ones and those talk show hosts will ask them and they, the interviewer is attempting to paint the Christian as an intolerant, arrogant, narrow-minded, outdated, fanatical individual. And, and they're trying to get that person to say, yes, Jesus is the only way. Or they try to get that person to, to say, absolutely, that's a sin. And, and, and the Bible speaks. And as soon as they make that absolute statement, they're lamp-blessed. They're, they're called intolerant, bigot. But yet, can you imagine if that interviewer was talking to a physician who had just made a medical breakthrough for a terrible disease? Go back and think of all of the breakthroughs that this world has seen. Can you imagine that interviewer looking at the doctor that had finally found the cure for cancer, the cure for AIDS, or, or, or whatever it may be? Can you imagine that interviewer saying, 
doctor, how intolerant you are to think that this is the only cure. Surely you don't think that your idea and your understanding is the only way. Or can you imagine those same interviewers talking to the mathematicians as they looked upon a complex problem in the multiplication table? And can you imagine them saying to that professor, how can you be so arrogant as to believe that three times three always equals nine? See, by its very truth, or by its very nature, rather, truth is narrow and precise fashion. Truth in its purest sense, does not have any other options. It's either right or it's wrong. Regardless of what people say and attempt to paint it differently, truth is narrow. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I realize as we reach 2020, year and days in which I, as a child, never thought we would see. I keep seeing memes float around social media of the Jetsons flying car saying, how are we in 2020 and what is technology? I never dreamed that I would see the 2000s or even the 20s and now I realize that we are just as close to 2050 as we are from 1990. Put that in perspective. But can I tell you today that in a day of pluralism, in a day of political correctness, I will stand until my dying breath and say Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only answer. I'm compelled to preach Jesus and Jesus alone. Paul said it best when he said, I'm determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said, I was with you in weakness and fear. Excuse me, and much trembling, my speech and my preaching is not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and of power, that your faith does not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. As I read the book of Acts every day, and, and I see it, I'm drawn to every uh, 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 sermon that is preached. I'm drawn to every time Paul stood before one of the rulers, one of the, the you know the synagogue leaders, or, or even Caesar himself. And I'm drawn to watch how did Paul preach. And every one of those, Paul preached Jesus and him crucified. In order to do that, here's where you buckle your seatbelts and you hold on to the seat in front of you. Because we're going to take off and I'm not going to come down until I get to Revelation. But it goes like this. Are you ready? Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Deuteronomy 6-4. But here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The same God that created the heavens and the earth is said of John chapter 4 verse 24 that God is a spirit. The spirit in Luke chapter 24 and verse 39 says that a spirit does not have flesh and bones. And 1 Timothy 1.17 says unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible. The only wise God. It's John that wrote in John 1.18, For no man hath seen God at any time. 1 Corinthians 8.6 reminds us that there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things. That creating power of God incarnate, of God, it, it tells us in Genesis 1.27 that God created 
created man in his own image. In the image of God created him male and female. He created them. Life didn't last as good as it should have. For Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6 tells us of the curse that when the woman saw the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, the tree desired to make one wise, she took of it, of the fruit thereof, did eat, gave to her husband with her, and he did eat. And so God had to come down and tell her in Genesis 3.15 that I will have to put enmity between the seed, uh, between thee and thy woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. They told the devil, he told woman, there's a promise. The promise kept on in Isaiah 7 when he said, the Lord shall give you a son. Behold, the virgin couch shall conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel. In, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. But yet God himself in Isaiah 43, 11 said, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. But yet through Isaiah 51, all the way through the end of Isaiah 53, you find that the Savior is coming and will remove the curse spoken of in Genesis chapter 3 through the suffering that he will go through. But remember, God cannot die. As a spirit, he hath not flesh and bone. That's what 1 Timothy 1.17 tells us. It says that he's invisible, he's immortal, and he's eternal. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 3. They looked for one who could reverse the curse. But it said, as John saw, no man in heaven nor earth, nor either under the earth, was able to open the book and look thereon. In Romans 3.10, it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. So God became flesh. Without controversy, Paul wrote to, first Timothy, to Timothy in 1 Timothy, without controversy, great is the mystery of God, that God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. Galatians 4 says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Luke 1, 27 records it to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. She brought forth, Matthew 121 said, and she brought forth a son. They call his name Jesus, and he'll save his people from their sins. This Jesus that's come to save his people from their sins, you have to remember that God said in Isaiah 43, 11, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So there cannot be two, there must be one. So John begins to write at the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh in the 14th verse and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For God so loved the world, he goes on to say, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This begotten Son of the Father walks on the earth 
And yet he told his own disciples in John 14, 9, Have I been so long with you? And yet still, Philip, you don't know me. He that hath seen me has seen the Father. He went on in John chapter 10 and verse 30 to emphatically say, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And he was remembering the words penned by Isaiah from the very voice of God himself that when that child is born and that son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder, remember he will be the everlasting Father. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 8, Jesus looked and said, Get behind me, Satan. It's written, Thou shalt not worship the Lord thy God. Or thou, rather, it is written, Thou shalt. Let's do this right. Let's preach the truth. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. You can only worship God. Yet in John chapter 9, verse 36, Someone asked him and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus looked that man in the face and said, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And that man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped Jesus. How in the world could Jesus tell Satan you can only worship God, but yet allow someone to worship him unless they are Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus yeah. will have not a high yeah. priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points like as we are tempted like we are yet without sin. And though he had no sin of his own Hebrews 9.28 tells us that Christ bore the sins of many. In fact again remember John chapter 9 verse 6 I mean Isaiah 9 verse 6 when it says a son is given, that word given even prophesies the life that would go. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, it says, Take heed thereof unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the flock and the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It's Galatians 3.13 that tells us that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse from us, as it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. I love the way Colossians opens up. It became my daily reading this morning. I had to add it to what I was doing today. For verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1 tells us this, that Jesus is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and it is he who holds all things together. He's the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And Colossians chapter 2 begins to tell us that in him dwell the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Christ Jesus. When you came to church this morning and you begin to lift up your hands and you begin to say, Jesus, I love you. You were not referencing just a man that walked on this earth, but you were representing and you were referencing the fullness of God.
will come again someday. In Revelation chapter 5, when John said, I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. A strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And John, as I, I see it, in fact, the Bible in, uh, records it, that there was no man in heaven, nor on earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book or look thereon. And John began to weep. said, I found no man. Can you imagine John having that privilege of sitting in the heavens and, and seeing that no one's able to open the book and John so desperately wants to know what's recorded therein. But one of the elders said unto him, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals. And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as if it were slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand. And when he took the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell before the lamb, every one of them having harps and golden vials full of odors, the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. You were slain, but hath redeemed us to God by the, thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nations. Can I tell you today, the gospel of Jesus Christ is far more than just something that you find on Easter Sunday where we talk about the death and the burial and the resurrection of someone that existed in history but no longer exists today. Can I tell you today the gospel has to be understood from Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning was God all the way to the end of Revelation when the Lamb for sinners slain stands there. The gospel incorporates all of the Word of God. Today, when I begin to preach the word, today and tonight when I preach, and tomorrow and whenever I stand behind a pulpit or a table or maybe I give a Bible study, I'm doing what Paul and Peter did. I'm preaching Jesus and him crucified. And when I do, I'm pulling all the way from the beginning. And I'm connecting the dots to understand that when he could sit there and say, Hi, and my father opened. It was not that God died on the cross. Can you imagine three days of no God? Can you imagine if the sovereign sovereignty of the universe ceased to exist? Worlds would spin out of place. Stars would fall, crash, and burn. It was not God that died on the cross, my friend. It was the body. It was the humanity that he chose to come in. It was the image of an invisible God that passed away. But when he passed and the veil was rent, for the first time in man's history, since the time of Adam and Eve prior to the fall, man had unfettered access to a sovereign God. Someone says, why must we be baptized in Jesus' name? I mean, in fact, it was Jesus himself that said, except a man be born of a water, of the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God why, why would we baptize as Peter commanded us to to baptize in the name of Jesus 
Partly because of Acts chapter 4 verse 10 when he said there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. There is something that happens at that moment of baptism when they put you under the water and they call upon the name of Jesus. For when they call on the name of Jesus, they are calling upon God Almighty and that revelation of who he is. And when you come up out of the water, the Bible says you are grafted into the vine. When he fills you with the Holy Ghost, he is filling you with that gospel spirit from Genesis to Revelation. It's all in him. I don't know how it will be. The Bible says when we step into the heavens, the Bible tells us that on that day, we'll see him as he is. I am not smart enough to know how it's going to play out. But I will tell you, it's not going to be as Da Vinci painted or any of those Renaissance artists. We get to heaven, you're not going to see the typical picture that, that's painted, long hair, long beard, you know, white robe with blue sash. It's not who you're going to see. That was the revelation he's given us to this point. But when I step into heaven, these eyes that will no longer be mortal, the Bible says the mortal will put on immortality and the corruptible will put on incorruption. And when I step to that golden shore on that day, I will see him as he's never been seen for humanity's time. I'll see him as and I'll be able to take my crown and throw it at the feet of an almighty God who loved you and I so much that he became like you.